The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Hey, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another edition of Winning Ponies. As you know, times are getting exciting in the uh, races as they lead up to the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks. Of course, we're into the championship series now. A win in a points race now brings you home 50 points on the top spot. Nothing wrong with that at all. Well, our first guest is a gentleman that I've been trying to get on for quite a while and uh, just never really uh, had the chance, and that is Eric Mitchell. Uh, Back in uh, 2009, he was appointed editorial director uh, of the Blood Horse. Uh, Prior to uh, that, he was a senior staff writer for the Blood Horse. Uh, In his earlier days, he was a reporter and columnist for Street and Smith's Sports Business Journal. And uh, he also spent more than eight years as a reporter for the Ocala Star Banner. Uh, And there he covered uh, Ohio's horse industry, among other subjects. Uh, He's also uh, responsible, uh, in addition to his uh, duties as the Bloodstock editor, he manages uh, the Blood Horse Market Watch, Stallion Register, and the Auction Edge Sales Guide. So certainly a gentleman that knows a lot about pedigrees, and we're going to be talking to him about some of the pedigrees of the horses uh, leading into the big races uh, uh, coming up. And then our our second guest, a handicapper we've had on before because he is an expert on the races from the West Coast. That would be none other than Jeremy Balin, who is the West Coast correspondent for the Blood Horse. And uh, big race this week, the San Felipe 50 Kentucky Derby points up for grabs. And I think this race is up for grabs. Now, most people are putting a ring around mastery. Mike Smith will be aboard. Bob Baffert trains. It's on a candy ride who won its last two, including the loss Al Futurity. <clears throat> it's been odds on one to five every single start. But there's a horse in there I like a lot by the name of Gormley. I think there's a lot of upside to this son of Malibu Moon, so we'll be tapping in on Jeremy to get his read on that. It's just going to be a huge, huge Saturday at Santa Anita. Three grade ones and a grade two. Then you've got the triple bend, a seven furlong affair, and it's the return of Masochistic. Now, we've talked about him on these airwaves a few times. If you recall... He was eliminated from purse money after running second in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. There was still the lingering 
of uh, some drug that was used during training, and that was approved, and that was reported. Uh, they get, believe they took them off, I'm going to say, 90 days out. Well, <clears throat> for whatever reason, as you know, everybody reacts different to prescription medicines, and masochistic did not get it out of its system. It still had trace uh, particles. So trainer Ron Ellis, who's got a very clean record, said, you know, if you got to take away the purse, you got to take away the purse. His owner stuck with him. Anyhow, he returns to the races in the Triple Bend. The story here, he's last year's Triple Bend winner. So we'll have Jeremy weigh in on that. And then we've got a horse that just switched stables, but he's a big horse. I know you've, you've heard his name before because he ran third last year in the uh two years ago in the Kentucky Derby to a horse by the name of American Pharaoh, and that is Dortmund, who is uh, one of the biggest horses I ever saw on the track. Well, he has switched barns. Colleen Shaw has moved him to the barn of none other than Art Sherman, and uh, he's going to be going the one mile on a turf, believe it or not. He's five years old now. This will be his first time ever on the turf. Then also out at Santa Anita, it's the big one, the Santa Anita Handicap. A lot of people like in Midnight Storm who got speed on the rail. Then you've got Shaman Ghost. Remember his last start? Ran second to Arrogate in the Pegasus World Championship. And let's not forget on that same Pegasus card, Imperative took the 400,000 Poseidon. He is shipping from Gulfstream for the race too, though uh, he is no stranger to Santa Anita. So those are the lineups of the races we're going to be looking at. And of course, as tough as some of these might be, you might find some sleepers and what better place to find those than at winningponies.com. That's right. Pull down our easy win forms. Had another uh, good week uh, from all over the place. Sam Houston, uh, Two nice scores there. A 50 cent tri key paid 4625 and a 50 cent pick five, 2776 Let's not forget that Oak Lawn Park is open. There's going to be some huge races coming up there. We had a $1 super that returned $2,203. And we can prove we do well at Santa Anita. A $1 super key, $2,125. Those are the easy win forms. Go up, just cruise around the site. Check out winningponies.com. And uh, you'll find a lot of interesting things there. And hopefully pull down those forms and get some winners. Well, uh some of the other big races that are going to take place, I'm going to talk to Jeremy primarily about the races on the West Coast. But uh, let's not forget another points race, the Tampa Bay Derby. As you know, McCracken is on the sidelines for a while. So I would have to say that favoritism is going to be inherited by Tap Ritt, who ran second to McCracken in the Sam Davis. Now that horse did kind of have an easy, easy run there. Finished a length ahead of State of Honor, who was also going to be in the field for the Tampa Bay Derby. State of Honor uh, held the front end in the Sam Davis before he got a little bit tired late. Uh, and Julian Leperu will be back up aboard for trainer Mark Cassie, who could not be hotter. And um, look for Beasley to set the early speed. While an interesting horse in here, 
and I think a lot of people are going to be taking a wild shot at this horse, is Wild Shot, who if you go back and look at the Sam F. Davis, you'll see that he was wide on both turns, was only beaten three and a half lengths by McCracken, Taprit, and State of Honor. Might get some odds on Wild Shot. His morning line's five to one, but that easily could float up. Also, an Oaks Point race uh, that is going to be on tap on Saturday is going to be the Honeybee, grade three, $200,000, mile and a 16th at Oak Lawn Park. Well, Chanel's legacy is coming out of the Martha Washington there, 125000 Pretty much pressed the pace and then just blew away with Alec Berzer in the saddle. By the way, congratulations to him. Last week, he scored his 3,000th victory. Congratulations, Alex. So Chanel's legacy should get uh, a lot of attention. They're saying the favorite is going to be a late, a Claiborne farm horse who trained by Bill Mott, was sent away at 1-5 to in the Sun Coast at Tampa and ended up running second. Now, the horse that it ran second to was Tappa, 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 owned by a gentleman we've had on, uh, trained by a gentleman we've had on the show before, Tim Ham, and uh, Tappa, 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 a gray filly by Tappet, no surprise there, uh, had been away from the races since October. Tim put in some solid works, switched to blinkers, and Tappa, Tappa, Tappa went from flag fall to that's all. And she just seems to get stronger as the races get longer. That race also was her first career race on dirt. Before that, she had only raced on poly track and turf. So Tappa, Tappa is the, the, the one to watch out. But I'm telling you, the sleeper in here, I'm going to give you a long shot. It's a horse by the name of Someday Soon. You're probably going to go, ah, oh, John, you're just saying that because it's an Ohio bred. No. Someday Soon, until last week, ran the fastest mile at Oak Lawn Park, okay? Chanel's Legacy won the Martha Washington in 138 and 2, and Someday Soon Won an optional claimer in 137 and 4. Bill Van Meter has her on her toes. And like I said, th- this is a horse that uh, you're probably going to get some huge odds on. You heard it here first. All right, let's quickly go through some news before we look at uh, some more results uh, from, uh, from last week. Uh, uh, Mike Pataglia. Just had him on two weeks ago. or Actually, it was last week, just before his father's race. And uh, he in the same week, was elected to the Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Mike. Uh, He's certainly uh, getting his uh, dues. Uh, He just says, you know, who would have come up with all these scenarios uh, happening all at once? So he says it's been a crazy week, uh, but he loves it. And uh, Mike was great being on the show with us last week. And now he's going to go into the Kentucky Hall of Fame along with some Pretty solid guys in racing. Lane's End owner, Bill Farish. Horse by the name of Secretariat. And a trainer by the name of D. Wayne Lucas. <laughs> Names I know you are very familiar with. So congratulations to Mike. Well, uh, there w- will be some Hall of Fame horses announced. And two of those, um, Goldakova is one of 11 Hall of Fame finalists for the 2007 ballot. And the other, let's look at the jockey category, Robbie Alvarado and 
Victor Espinoza. So it'll be very interesting. We'll get a full list of all the inductees and get them up on the show uh, next week. So that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, Of course, Victor's just had an amazing three years, and it looks like he's sitting on live horses going into this year's Triple Crown. Now, Classic Empire has been on the sidelines. They do say that uh, he's going to be targeting the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland. You remember he refused to work a couple weeks ago. They say he's uh, he's 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 back to galloping after popping an ass abscess, and it's cleared up. So they got some time. They're going to point to the bluegrass. All right, let's take a quick look at some of the races that we did handicap last week. And with Mike Battaglia, we talked about quite a few, and he pointed out it's your nickel, a Ken McPeak trainee, and uh, jumped up and won big in the John Battaglia Memorial. So this will tag him as one of the favorites for the uh, Jack Spiral Stakes at Turfway, uh, a race that if you win that, you're pretty much getting into the Kentucky Derby. This horse also, a son of Dialed In. We had John Phillips from Darby Dan on the show recently. Dialed In continues to be hot. No flash in the pan after his great juvenile campaign at Stud. Then, the Gotham. We got a new guy to talk about in the Derby, and that is J. Boys Echo, hometown Dale Romans, Robbie Alvarado, no strangers to Churchill Downs, a son of Mineshaft, got the job done in the Gotham at six to one. Uh, easy second was cloud computing and in the third spot was the favorite who really went right to the front uh, for the entire Gotham and then faded in the lane El Arib who was coming into the race of four consecutive victories then points for the ladies in the Devon Adele the grade two at Gulfstream Park and it was Miss Sky Warrior a real confident ride by Paco Lopez. Uh, just gave him a little light tap with the whip. That's three wins in a row, including last year's grade three tempted at Aqueduct, as well as Aqueduct's Demoiselle, which was a grade two. So Miss Sky Warrior on the map for the Kentucky Oaks. In the second spot was Jordan's Henny, a 19-to-1 horse that was holding on over a very fast closing summer luck out of the Cassie barn might be one you want to uh, keep an eye on down the road. And then uh, we closed it out with the uh, Santa Isabel at Santa Anita. Again, uh, this one, four three-year-old fillies pointing to the Oaks. And it was no surprise. The super horse, Unique Bella, did get a little bit of a scare in the stretch when Abel Tasman made a game move at her. But Mike Smith got busy in the final eighth, and Unique Bella responded. Uh, she now has five career, four career victories and five starts, and the other was a second-place finish. In her maiden. So Unique Bella, who's nominated to both the Oaks and the Derby, will have to race against the boys, though, to get Derby points. I say Unique Bella, the Jerry Hollendorfer trainee, Mike Smith-ridden, stay with the girls for now. But she was very, very impressive, and many, many people comparing her to Songbird. And, uh, of course, uh, in the Fountain of Youth for the boys, last one, another dialed in. It was Gunna Vera, Matt Bernier's pick. 
went off at four to one. As a matter of fact, Matt Bernier gave us the exacta because running in the second spot was Practical Joke, who just exploded around the turn. That was Matt's long shot at the time. It ended up going off at three to one. Still paid thirty-five sixty for the exacta. Thank you very much, Mr. Bernier. Well, that's a look at all the races we handicapped last week. Again, uh, we're going to go out on the West Coast for this week's races, but we're going to talk with Eric Mitchell from the Blood Horse before we move forward. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Eric Mitchell. I gave uh, a bit of his bio uh, at, the, at the top of the show. Uh, of course, he uh, does work uh, for the Blood Horse, but uh, he uh, wears a lot of hats for that magazine. Uh, he's covering the, the Stallion and the Farm News uh, as the Bloodstock editor, but he also manages the Blood Horse Market Watch, the Stallion Register, and the Auction Edge Sales Guide. I want to go into each one of those publications uh, that stand on their own. But before that, I want to learn more about Eric Mitchell. Uh, I know that he wrote for uh, Street and Smith Sports Business and then uh, maybe first got his exposure to to the horse business in the uh, bluegrass of the south down in Ocala. Uh, Eric, welcome to Winning Ponies. Hey, thanks, John. It's really great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be on the show. Well, uh, I, w- was I right, or do, do your bloodlines go uh, past your uh, writing in Florida in that uh, neck of the woods? Well, actually, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I have kind of a, a strange background, maybe not so strange. You know, the more you talk to people, they, they come into this business in so many different ways. Um, but I grew up in suburban Houston, and um, I do not do not come from a, a horse background. My family didn't raise horses. My family, you know, didn't didn't own ponies. I mean, it was it was none of that. But um, but for some reason, I always found this affinity I had for horses, and was always curious and wanted to learn more. And when I when it came time to go to school to college. I really wanted to be a large animal vet and wanted to be uh, and, and become a horse vet, and so I went to Texas A and M. 
uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the grade point average that was going to get me into vet school, and uh, a lot of my classmates who were 4Os were not getting into vet school, so I needed to take a different tack. And I went the production agriculture route uh, with my animal science degree and worked at the horse center at A&M and got on their horse judging team and started uh, you know, learning everything that I could about the horse business at that point. And uh, uh, also enjoyed writing, had an act for writing at the time, but also knew I had a whole lot to learn. And so I uh, spent right out of school, I worked at the farms and uh, wound up in uh, at, at Dove Creek Farm in Ocala, where I worked for Jack and Kathleen Winterbotham for a couple years and learned a lot from them and, and, and parlay that into a writing career. So, um, you know, there were a lot of changes going on in the Ocala area and, and Jack was making some changes to his operation. And so I, uh, went and found a, uh, kind of a, an ancillary career, if you will, writing about the industry, covering the industry, and then so for the Ocala Star Banner, um, it was a general assignment reporter uh, by title, and I did cover cops and courts and, you know, everything and anything that general assignment reporters get thrown at them, but always carved out time to cover the sales, um, to follow racing when I could, to do features and that sort of thing, and continue to learn as much as I could. And then, uh, you know, went from uh, Ocala, took a hiatus in Spartanburg uh, at that for that daily newspaper, went from there to the Sports Business Journal, um, uh, where I did get to cover, you know, racing periodically. And then uh, when a business writer position opened up at Blood Horse, I found myself in Lexington. So that's the, that's the, that's the, short, that's the short version. Well, but uh, it, it's a version that tells me that you've, you've touched the sport uh, on a lot of levels. You didn't just come out of journalism school and, uh, and, and get lucky. Uh, uh, I didn't know about the uh, Texas A&M uh, part of it. So you, you have had hands-on experience, that and at the, and at the farm. So it, I think that gives you uh, another dimension when you do write about the sport. Yeah, no, no question about it. I, I, I think it helps when you you know how much and and it's something that i appreciate really every day is is the is the effort that people put in to taking care of their horses taking care of their farms and really trying to do things the right way and it really is a, a tremendous amount of effort and and devotion and I really admire that. And it's probably one of the things that's the most fascinating about this business is how people get into it to begin with, um, both in what keeps them in it, you know, because it's not an easy game, as we all know, on, on whatever level, whether you're owning, breeding, training. It's, uh, it's you know, for, for all the highs, there's some really, really hard lows and, and you know, horses get sick on you and, and things don't go the way you want them to, but you know when things all fall into place and those the the horses shine the way you just know that they are capable of. You know that I I know that you know people just they can't express it sometimes. And you know from talking to people after they winning races, they're they're searching for words to to, to capture the emotion that they feel at that time. It's just so powerful. 
It really is. It really is, and it's marvelous uh, to be associated with it for sure. Uh, well, uh, how have you kind of, um, I won't say evolved, but um, be, being the, the, the bloodstock editor and being on top of the sales and, and the pedigrees, uh, quite frankly, it's something I love. You, you you could you could hand me a a, a catalog and I I wouldn't leave the you know it'd be like I was reading a John Patterson novel you know it's like I don't want to <laughs> you know I just want to go to the next page because it, it is such a, a great it's, it's like I enjoy walking through old graveyards because there's such a uh, a lesson in history to be learned by by looking at the the families and the next family and the next family and then also the influence that you know the word nicking has come along in the past two decades um, that certain families have an affinity for one another um, how did uh, you know how do you uh, appreciate that or how did you come to really get to know that as well as you did considering that you put out the blood horse market watch and the stallion register yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I will. I'm very upfront that I am no pedigree expert, you know, by by any stretch. I mean, I I know and I'm familiar and I learned just a lot. I mean, I came into you know really, you know, the blood horse primarily as the business writer as a business writer and looking at you know not only. Um, breeding and stallions and sales, but purses and handle and what was going on with things at the racetrack and, you know, a lot of the economic issues. Um, I, I mean, I have so much to learn about pedigrees. It's not even, it's not even funny, but it's fascinating. And I really enjoy talking to people who are real students of pedigrees and really understand the influences that come through the families and how those get translated. Because we've all, you know, we've all seen, you know, you know, horses, the pedigrees, and, and we say, wow, this horse has got to be brilliant, you know, you know, so, so what happens, you know, why is it some horses that have brilliant, brilliant pedigrees are able to translate, you know, their, you know, their, physiology gets translated into great performance and others maybe not so great and it's such a mystery and it's such a puzzle to me that's the to me that's the most fascinating part of the of the pedigrees and then how much we're just starting to learn now about genetics and how all those traits manifest themselves and how you know they get carried over and carried through and and it's just it's like just one massive puzzle um but, uh, but, you know, it's always a challenge, you know, to, to not only ferret out what that pedigree is and then match it up with the, the confirmation of what traits are coming through. I mean, that's, that's to me, I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of the more fascinating parts of the, of the sport. Well, you know, we talked the other day, and I told you I was probably going to ask you this question, and it's to get your opinion on uh, horses' books. I mean, you know, <clears throat> From what I understand, American Pharaoh is going to cover uh, over 150 mares this year, as probably will Uncle Mo, as probably will Tappet. Now they're talking about American Pharaoh shuttling down to Australia. Um, is there a point where we're just going to have an overabundance of certain sire lines, or are all those horses' sire lines? different enough that we'll still be able to blend them down the road. 
No, I mean, I, I think that we are, you know, like we're seeing consolidation in the industry. I mean, unfortunately, I think we're seeing some consolidation of, you know, these sire lines as well. And, and, and in fact, I had a, an interesting conversation with Andy Stronach a couple weeks ago because Andy is, he's got a brilliant mind for pedigrees and he, and they're big proponents, he and his father, of, of outcrossing whenever possible. And uh, during my conversation with him, he mentioned, well, you know, you're not really going to find many true outcross opportunities anymore because we have leaned so heavily on a smaller and smaller subset of sire lines, you know. So, you know, in you, you look in the back of the stallion register and the, in the gray pages, as we call them in the back, that shows the tail male sire lines uh, for all the active sires we have now. And, and you see so many where these lines are only represented by one, two, three, maybe five stallions. So, you know, at the same time, we're seeing these trends toward bigger and bigger, bigger books. You're right. They're concentrating more on those horses. And then you have, you know, a greater a greater percentage of horses, active stallions out there that just don't have the same opportunity. And they could be good stallions, you know, but they don't have the same number of mares going to them. And then getting that opportunity is really important. It's hard for your individual, for your progeny to stand out if you're only breeding 40 mares a year, you know, versus the, the stallion down the road who's breeding 150 to 180 to up to 200 in some cases. Well, I think a great example is dialed in. I mean, who would have predicted that he would have been not only the leading juvenile sire, but that he'd have uh, several horses uh, on the path uh, to the Kentucky Derby this year? You know, I think it's great to see a horse like that that, quote, flew under the radar, albeit 15,000 is not exactly chump change, and I'm sure he's not standing for that anymore. But, you know, I think it's kind of great that – those horses I already named that are the household names and breeding, all of a sudden a horse like dialed in uh, comes along and kind of uh, upsets the apple cart a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and, and it's great. I mean, it's good, I think, for those kinds of horses to jump up and do well because it just reminds us all, you know, there's a big pool out there. There's a lot of talent out there, you know, and – and, you know, I understand the economics behind the book size and, and why we are where we are, but also from, you know, the, the, the breeder standpoint, you know, you have to, you do have to ask yourself, do you want to be, you know, one of 200 or do you want to be, you know, one of 80, you know, or 85, you right. know, if you're a commercial breeder, it makes a huge difference. And then, um, and, and, and also, again, you know, yes, it's encouraging to see horses like that jump up and do well, because um, then you feel like, you know, maybe that gets, you know, a little more attention and people, you know, don't flock all to the same same horses, so... Well, Eric Mitchell from the Blood Horse, my editor's telling me I've, I'm short on time. Uh, real quickly, um, how do our readers access something like the Blood Horse Market Watch? Well, we um, we have Market Watch has now been integrated into the magazine, and we are in transition with that particular product because it used to be a standalone newsletter. We've integrated into the magazine because we saw that 
that professional content, there really, really was an appetite for that in, in the broader, broader, uh, subscription base of the magazine. So, so that's now a part of uh, a monthly feature within the magazine. We are starting to transition the old Market Watch website, which had the PDFs on it, and we're going to be integrating that into the bloodhorse.com website. Um, we're just now mapping that out right now. So, but for right now, it's a monthly feature in the Blood Horse. Look for it there. We have the Market Watch blog, which includes a Market Watch analysis that we runs in the Blood Horse daily every week, and then we have interviews also that'll be posted there as well. All right. Well, Eric Mitchell, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I got to take a break, and we come back. We're going to be talking to uh, one of your other partners on the writing end, and that would be Jeremy Balin, who covers the. West Coast action, and there's plenty of it at Santa Anita on Saturday. You've been listening to Eric Mitchell. You've been listening to Winning Ponies. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com The home of the easy win form The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses At most American and Canadian tracks Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races Don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you Streaming live The leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me, uh, Jeremy Balin. I've got to know him over the past year or so uh, since he took over uh, the, the lead writing position for the Blood Horse uh, on, the, on the West Coast. He does a great job, although they give him assignments covering other races, too, if you go up on the website or subscribe to the magazine, which, by the way, this week has sensational story on Seattle Slough. Not just a story, but a layout with the great Tony Leonard's photos. Uh, If it's still on a newsstand, I highly suggest that you uh, snatch a copy up. So anyhow, enough with the promotion of the Blood Horse. Right now, I want to talk to uh, one of our better handicappers on the West Coast. Jeremy, how you doing? I'm doing all right. had a Quite a busy day today, uh, relatively busy for a Thursday, at least, out here. Uh, we, had, we had Gary Stevens uh, making his return to riding after hip replacement, hip replacement surgery. We had uh, a, bit of, uh, a bit of drama regarding an Oaks contender, uh, Abel Tasman, switching barns, and uh, had a pretty good three-year-old race with, with some, uh, some Colts who might be showing up a little bit late to the, 
Kentucky Derby Trail Party, but uh, definitely of, of note. So, yeah, keep busy out here. Hey, we love late-breaking stories here on Winning Ponies. Uh, one of the questions I did have for you was if you knew anything about the return of Gary, and I guess you do. You do. He was actually up on horseback today. Yeah, I uh, I talked to him right after he his his first race back, which was the the fourth a uh, uh, claiming race. Uh, he was aboard a, a horse named Uperwala, uh, who who gave uh, the favorite in that race uh, a pretty good test late. So he was a, he was a bit. Uh, I mean, it was hot today. It was about eighty five degrees in Arcadia today. So uh, Gary, after the race. Was, was blowing a little bit, but uh, he says he feels great. Uh, he actually feels better than before the surgery because that hip was just such a source of pain. So uh, now that he's free and clear of that plane, he's actually of that pain, he's actually in a in a better spot. So um, it's uh, he just turned fifty four, I believe, uh, earlier this week. So uh, I can see. I mean, he's already done this before, right? He came back from knee replacement surgery and. In, in two years, I think he won 31 graded stakes. So, um, you know, we've seen this before. Yeah, we have. We have. And the great thing about Gary is he is he, he understands that he's on the 17th fairway of his career. And so he is selective. You know, you don't see him picking up mounts in $20,000 claiming races, uh, A, because the stress it's going to put on his body. He's only got so many rides left. And B, you take a bigger chance of, of, of injuries. He's a, he's a very, very wise man. And, of course, you see uh, the horses that he and his agent uh, end up being on. And it's kind of interesting that he's coming back right around Derby and Oaks time uh, where, yeah. you know, if there's the, 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 there, there's some guys right now looking over their shoulder going, Oh no, Stevens is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I was, I was thinking he might be getting on a horse that we're probably going to talk about in a little bit. Dortmund, um, just not sure he, he's, he's ready to jump right back into graded stakes competition just yet. And uh, Victor Espinosa is going to have the ride on, on Dorbin in his grass debut in the, in the kill row on Saturday. But, uh, you know, he's been on that horse before. He, I'm sure he's going to start getting on good horses for, for good trainers again. And, uh, you know, this was just one step toward, uh, you know, him getting right back on, you know, the, the very good top level horses on the West coast, you know, what wasn't too long ago when he was on beholder. So uh, I can see him stepping right back into that role again. Absolutely, and he uh, he has a uh, sports nutritionist. He has a sports psych uh, psych not psychiatrist, but uh, uh, you know somebody that gets his mind right. And, and mm-hmm. then he's got he's got his therapist. So with all these people working with him, uh, it's a tremendous team because that's what he did in the recovery of his knee. And I'm sure he called us. The, <laughs> we're putting the band back together, and probably did the same thing for the hip. And uh, he goes into it with such a great uh, uh, physicality and a mindset that he's the guy to come back. And I, I'll bet you dollars to donuts we see him in the Derby and Oaks this year. I would not be surprised. Now, give us the late-breaking news on the Oaks Philly. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, I this story about Abel Tasman, she, she moved from, uh, you know, she, she challenged Unique Bella uh, in her last start and really kind of, it looked like, she was almost going to go by that. The, the yes, it was scary. Um, and that was a first, her first race off a of layoff for Simon Callahan. 
And Callahan said today that she's now been moved uh, to Bob Baffert. Uh, and the, the reason why it almost makes you do a double take and you think about, like, is this, is this real life? Um, the China Horse Club bought into Abel Tasman after her win in the Starlet at Los Al in December. And in her last start, she was supposed to wear China Horse Club silks. Now, Simon Callahan says that he was told by the jockey's room that there were China Horse Club silks ready to go. Uh, Now, when Joe Talamo came out of the uh, jockey's room on that day, uh, he was wearing Clear Clear Sky uh, silks, which is the breeder of Abel Tasman and who owned her outright before. Now, that didn't, didn't go very well with the, the new part owners, and uh, they decided that's the reason they gave to Simon, according to him, uh, as to why they, they switched barns. Now, I was unable to get a hold of representatives from Clear Sky or China Horse Club today, so we're really talking about one side of the story, but, um, you know, it's just a really, really weird story. We're, we're talking about silks. Um, and you're going to move a, I mean, obviously, and that's what, that's kind of what Simon conveyed is that they put all this, they put all this work into this filly to get her back and, you know, to, to gear her up for a, a big Oaks run. And, and this kind of comes, comes and happens. So, uh, I, I wish I could provide a little bit clearer of a picture, but that just, uh, didn't quite happen today, but uh, it's just an odd, odd story. It, it really is, especially when you see what a great job uh, Simon has, has done with her. You know, we, we see this even with American Pharaoh, where first start, and we've talked about some other good horses uh, earlier that uh, will not break their maiden, and since then have been undefeated. Well, if you're undefeated all the way through a grade one, and then you run second to Unique Bella, you're not coming out of a bad barn. Right. And, you know, and uh, according to the program I have, she was supposed to be in red, gold stars, red and yellow halves. Now, are, are those clear skies silks or no? China? No, the, in the program it was correct. Those are China. Those are China Horse Club silks. But um, when Simon sent uh, Joe Talamo back into the jocks room to try to get the China Horse Club silks, there the jocks room didn't have them, so they didn't really have a choice. And, uh, I mean, the key, the key quote from Simon was, uh, this is him talking directly, is that uh, the Philly ran a great race. It's really sad that they've taken these drastic steps and couldn't accept my apology for a mistake that was out of my control. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that was the main motivation. That's what they've told him. That's what Simon thinks. But it's just, it seems like an odd thing to take a horse away for, but you know, I'm not a horse owner, so I don't. I guess I don't. Uh, you know, it seems like a minor thing to a lot of people, but to some others, maybe it's a little bit bigger of a deal. I guess it obviously is, but uh, th- that's a shame because uh, <clears throat> this uh, this daughter Quality Road had done nothing at getting better buyers in every single start and seem to be enjoying the stretch out. And again, 
uh, to, to, to run second to a horse that's being compared to Songbird, uh, certainly no disgrace. So I'm sure there'll be plenty for the uh, sports writers uh, to chew on this, but uh, I, I really feel for Simon after the great job he did, if, if, that, if it's over something as petty as that. But, gee, it, it's nice to know that an unknown trainer named Bob Baffert will get a shot. <laughs> yeah, that guy can't catch any breaks, seems like. <laughs> Uh, let's go back to that race because I'll be honest with you. I watched it and my my heart went in my throat uh, at, at about the three eighths pole when uh, when Abel Tasman made that move. It, it really did look like she was going to go by, and um, I, I mean that it speaks to. I think she ran. Abel Tasman ran a, a huge race, and I think it speaks to just how good Unique Bella is that she was able to essentially see that and with a couple of taps from Mike Smith to, to kind of re-break and to pull away late. I mean, she, the margin, I think, was was three lengths or, or something like that. So this uh, Abel Tasman, you know, is flying at the top of the lane and comes within about a length of her at the eighth pole, and Unique Bell is just so good that she just kind of shrugged it off and uh, went on to win by open lengths again. So... Uh, I think it speaks to the quality of both of those Phillies, and then maybe second off a layoff, you, uh, excuse me, Abel Tasman might fire even a better shot. But uh, I, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a tough ask for any Philly, I think, to to take on that that gray monster we have here at Santa Anita. Yeah, she is, and and I know she's uh, nominated the Triple Crown, but uh, like Songbird, I think the best thing is uh, when you're a three year old Philly. Unless there's some unique reason, stick with your own division. When you're four years old, you can prove yourself against the boys if need be. Uh, she just looks like she's going to stretch out great. Yeah, I mean, there's she's going to stay with her own 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 uh, division. So it's it doesn't really. I, I, it's just it's so hard to compare those two Phillies. Songbird was a late foal. She she wasn't the physical specimen of, of Unique Bella. I mean, this this filly is like a tank. She is just a force. So Songbird was a little different. It's a different case. So I can see a horse like Unique Bella going after the boys a little sooner than Songbird might, which might be this year. Could be in the fall, but I think she needs to go through her summer campaign against the girls. But hey, I don't I don't train her now. Bob Baffert agreed. <laughs> no, not yeah, about so, Baffert. Uh, Jerry uh, Hollendorfer. Jerry Hollendorfer is going to yes. keep her with the girls for about as long as he can. Um, so uh, that, that he's been pretty straightforward with both of those Phillies that uh, he doesn't really have any any reason to rush them into facing males. No, no, absolutely. Well, um, uh, Jeremy, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I, we've been having such a great conversation here. I think I'm going to pass on our break if that's okay with you, unless you need to go change a diaper or something. No, uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> okay. I know you're a young father now. Um, anyhow, one of the more interesting races uh, of, of the week, of course, uh, pretty much a win in a 50 point derby race probably ensures that you're getting into the gate. And that's what we've got in the grade two San Felipe. Uh, hard to believe that perhaps one of the better races on the cards are grade two, and we're going to be looking at three grade ones coming up here shortly. Uh, but uh, this race, obviously, I mean, oh, my God, Mike Smith. I mean, how many great horses can he be riding? But, you know, Mastery just seems to click off at every point. Uh, you've got you've got Candy Ride, who's just 
red hot right now is the sire. You got Mike Smith, who seems to be able to do no wrong. I need say no more about Hall of Famer Bob Baffert, and this horse comes into this race undefeated. I do find it's interesting that the horse started in blinkers, won impressively. A lot of times the stewards won't let you take him off. Took him off for the Bob Hope and won by a length and a quarter, and then decided to go back to the blinkers uh, for the loss of Al Futurity. It's Mastery's first race back, but as you know, Baffert, as always, has them wound as tight as a clock. But I'll be honest with you, there's a horse in here that I, I've loved from the get-go, and his name is Gormley. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that, that he, he's got you know a little more seasoning, um, has already been out in the sham, and that was a gutsy, gutsy stretch run against American Anthem. Of course, Victor Espinosa, I mean, gee, could he fall into another good three-year-old mount uh, each year or what? Um, let me get you read. Obviously, uh, you know, Iliad has to be uh, a one to fear, one of those bizarre horses like we'll talk about later that came from Kaleem Shaw stable uh, away from Baffert, believe it or not, to Doug O'Neill. Um, it's a short field, but there's a lot of mystery in here. There, I, I mean, the, a horse like Mastery, he's been, before he even started, there's been a buzz about him. He's been a, a morning superstar for, uh, you know, since he arrived at, at Santa Anita. Uh, and then, and Gormley, that last race in the sham, uh, John Sheriffs was, was very impressed because he didn't really have it. He didn't have everything his own way. And, and that's kind of how he won the front runner. That's kind of how he he won. He broke his maiden, and then in the in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he just didn't run his race. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two, who both want, want to be up near the lead, there's just a ton, a ton of speed in this race. So it's going to be interesting for me to see if one of these horses can show a, a different dimension. You know, Iliad is coming out of sprints. Uh, and has hasn't run hasn't raced at two turns, but is is a half to a, a horse named Melmich, who wins marathon races at mile seven eighths at, at Woodbine, and uh, is a Grade Three winner up there, going you know longer than these horses are ever going to go. So uh, the way that Iliad won that San Vicente last time out was just so impressive. Went went really fast right off of a off of a quick pace and finished quick too. Uh, going seven furlongs and one twenty one and change, and, and it just see he's a kind of a big go sapper who can who just looks like he can probably go longer. Doug O'Neill is confident he can go longer, um, but those are the three who who really stand out. There's some kind of crazy horses in here. There's a maiden uh, who uh, Luch Racing Stable ship is going to ship in, which is something that he kind of does around the country. Absolutely, uh, going races like this. Um, but uh, the other three, Term of Art is a grade three winner uh, in an off-the-turf race at, at Del Mar, and his dirt form hasn't been great outside of that. And, and Vending Machine is, is a stakes winner on turf, so there's, there's some unknown in, in there as well. But uh, it would be very surprising to me if one of the three favorites didn't win that race. All right, let me try to move along at a quick pace here. I want to try to see if we can't get some comments on the next three races. Uh, the Triple Bend, uh, the, uh, you know, 
Kobe's back. Won't have Gary Stevens in the saddle, but a very, very consistent horse that uh, you know loves the distance, loves Santa Anita. But the, the the mystery horse in here, not that he's a mystery, but it's good to see him back as Mastikissick. I'm a big fan of Ron Ellis's. I think that was just kind of a bizarre thing that came together that there was still uh, a, a, a trace of, uh, of of medication in in, in his system. Uh, where he got disqualified from the Breeders' Cup sprint. And let's not forget he won this race last year. Yeah, I mean, you have the, the two proven commodities in Kobe's back, who is, you know, returning from a, a layoff, and, and Mastery, who is, or not Mastery, excuse me, Masochistic, who is, is returning from a layoff as well, but but not as long. But the, the interesting horses in here is Point Piper, who has kind of been in the Breeders' Cup and, won the Long Acres Mile up at Emerald Downs. It's been a two-turn kind of handicap horse, and now is going one turn. So it's really hard to anticipate what, what he's going to do out there. And then there's this silent bird who has won all kinds of allowance races and is working out through these conditions and deserves deserves a shot at a stakes. Now, going into a grade one stakes is a, is a little different than just a run-of-the-mill stakes sprinting uh, here. But uh, if this horse has one, two, three, four, five straight wins. It's hard to knock a, a horse like that who comes out and tries every time and, and wins so often. So I think All that's right. an interesting. Go ahead. No, I, I was just uh, checking on how much time we got left. We got we got three minutes left, so I'm gonna, okay. you're going to have to divvy, divvy these next two races up in, in a minute and a half because uh, I went a little bit long last time. Okay, let's talk quickly <laughs> about the Frank Kilrow Mile. Uh, obviously, the angle here is Dortmund. The knock on Dortmund, if there is one, I think he's a sensational horse, though he didn't win a race last year, is he's so big, he's so long striding, he's trying turf for the first time, I know he's spitting bullets, but this might be a race where he's going to get beat, and he's going up against a horse named Bolo, who absolutely loves this Santa Anita course and mm-hmm. loves the distance. It's just fu- it's funny that these two horses have now come back together after being on the Derby trail together, uh, back in, what was that? 2015. Um, but now they're on turf and going back against uh, each other again. Dortmund is going to be interesting on the turf. He certainly has turf breeding in there. Uh, you know, big Brown won in his only turf start and the, the our Josephina, his dam has dropped a two time turf winner. He's there. They're trying him on turf for, because he has a little bit of turf breeding and because he has some foot issues. So they were thinking about the triple bend, but that might've been a problem to go, you know, so fast 21 and change for a first quarter for a horse who has quarter cracks. So it's an interesting spot. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, uh, you know, with all those mysteries involved, I'm not going to be really loading up on him in the window. Okay. Got about a minute left. Got the great Santa Anita handicap. Uh, Midnight Storm, Speed on the Rail, one of my favorite jockeys of all time, Rafael Bayarano, one of the most consistent horses in training that can just spit out buyers in his from his stall, if he wants to, of 100-plus. Uh, then you've got Hard Aces, who was second in this race last year, and uh, Shaman Ghost, second to a horse by the name of Arrogate in the world's richest race, the Pegasus World Championship. And let's not forget Imperative, who didn't get in the World Championship, but was impressive in upsetting Stanford in the $400,000 Poseidon. Yeah, it's just a it, really interesting story for a horse like Midnight Storm, who's been this hard-knocking turf miler for, 
for such a long time, and they just went out and tried to tried him on dirt again after he really ran a clunker in the Pacific Classic in 2015. That's his, his was his last big dirt start, but. You know, you can't ask much more of this guy. He's going to be loose on the lead. I can't see anybody fast enough to go with him. It's just crazy that in, in a few months he's gone from this, this turf, really good turf miler to uh, the top weight in the San Diego Handicap. That's just, uh, just a really uh, fast development. And, and it's, it's, he's, he's an honest horse, and I could very easily see him win in this race. I good too. Again, speed on the rail, uh, Rafael Beirano in the saddle. It will be interesting to see how the others I stated, uh, particularly Shaman Ghost and Imperative. My boy Ron Paolucci, Luch Stables, isn't afraid to swing for the fences. So he's got he's he's got action out there. If you get a chance to meet him, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm going to meet him at the uh, Ohio Awards Banquet uh, next uh, Saturday that I'm going to be the uh, MC of with Bob Roberts. But nonetheless. Jeremy Balin, thanks for joining us so much. I, I really appreciate uh, all that late-breaking news you're giving us here on Winning Ponies. No problem at all. All right, that was Jeremy Balin. We had Eric Mitchell from the Blood Horse. Appreciate his time. Appreciate your listening. If you got friends that would uh, find the show interesting, tell them to turn over, go to our podcast, and most importantly, go on up to winningponies.com. Check it out. It doesn't cost anything to look, and you never know. You could pull down some easy win forms and maybe pull down some huge wins on some of these great races we're going to see this Saturday. For Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.